All episodes of It's Great Business reflect the views and opinions of Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group and its guests and do not reflect the official policy or guidance of employers or government entities. You're listening to It's Great Business, sponsored by Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group, where great business equals great people. Welcome to another episode of It's Great Business, and I'm Janice Berg-Levy. Today's guest is Jay Sullivan. Jay is the managing partner at Execcom and leads the firm's law firm group. He is an award-winning author and columnist, as well as an adjunct professor at Georgetown Law Center and Fordham University School of Law. His book, Simply Said, Communicating Better at Work and Beyond, was released by John Wiley & Sons in 2016 and has been translated into Chinese, Korean, and Russian. As a contributing writer for Forbes.com, Jay brings relevant and timely advice on enhancing one's communication skills to the business community. Wow, Jay, that is just amazing. Welcome to It's Great Business. Well, thanks for having me, Janice. I appreciate it. Super, super excited for this conversation. And like so many of uh, the folks that I have spoken to over the past several months, Jay and I do have a connection. We have worked together and really gotten to know each other. But what I thought would be fun is for Jay to tell the listeners of It's Great Business a little bit about who he is beyond his bio and really we'll get a little bit into kind of his, his passion and his purpose in life. Thanks, Janice, I appreciate it. And uh, I don't know that, that my path has been a whole lot different than other people. I think all of your listeners have had career paths that go in lots of different directions. And I think that one of the uh, key ideas is that a lot of us tend to think that careers are this linear thing and go in a straight line, mm-hmm. but in fact, they go in so many different directions and there are branches and then there are resets and then there are different approaches and different thoughts to things. My wife and I have uh, four kids. We had four kids in five years. And so we had a very busy household when they were much younger and that didn't change much for a long time. But as my kids have been growing up, they're all in their, their 20s now. I've been telling them, you're not going to have four jobs. You're probably going to have four different careers over your lifespan and, and do lots of different things. And so I think that's become a lot more the norm. Uh, and I've been very blessed to, to have had that for myself. So I, right out of college, I was a teacher, uh, a high school English teacher down in Kingston, Jamaica, came back to the U.S., came, became, went to law school, became a public interest lawyer, uh, did that for two years where I represented runaway homeless kids at a youth shelter in New York, then went to corporate law and practiced corporate law for seven years, and then transitioned back to teaching at Execcom, where I now get a chance to help people hone their communication skills. And each step along the way, things build. I didn't go to college thinking, I want to be a communications coach. Uh, I didn't even graduate college and know that there was such a thing as a communications coach. I think that people evolve as they experience and interact with different people and different opportunities in their lives, and they find their way and they find their path. And I hope all your, your listeners stay open to the idea of whatever is next on their career path, because it's not always this linear progression. So tell me something. So so I'm going to go back for a second. So like the whole teaching in Kingston, Jamaica, like what was your major in college? What did you, where did you start? Sure. I I went to Boston college and majored in English. 
And when uh, Boston College is uh, you know, founded by the Jesuit order of priests, uh, it's a Catholic institution. And part of what they offer is when you graduate, if uh, there's something called the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, and you can enter that and you just commit to spending a year or two teaching with the Jesuits or doing other community service work uh, that has some kind of faith-based focus or is organized that way. And so I ended up uh, moving to Jamaica and a number of my friends were going on, uh, were talking about doing this. I thought, well, I'll check that out. And so I applied and then I got accepted to the program. And the first time, I can tell you this honestly, at the first time I really thought about what I was doing was when the flight attendant closed the door on the plane and said, please buck your seatbelts, we're taking off for Kingston. And I remember having this aha moment of going, wait a minute, how did this happen? And I think that uh, if I had been really conscious of all these different steps, I may not have, have gone th through with the going to the, uh, the program, but I referred to it in the book I wrote about the whole experience called Raising Gentle Men, Lives at the Orphanage Edge. Uh, I, I talked about how I, I feel like God looked at me and said, you know what, if I let you think about this, you're too stupid and you're not going to make the right decision. So I'm just going to make you get there and then you'll figure it out when you get there. Oh and so I, I called it as being duped by God uh, going to the spot. <laughs> so I taught there for two years with the Jesuits. But while I was there, I started volunteering at a local orphanage and got to know the Sisters of Mercy who were in the orphanage and asked them after a few months if I could just move into the orphanage. So I moved into the convent with the nuns and helped them run this orphanage with about 250 boys at it. Oh. And to your point earlier about careers take different paths and how do you end up where you are? When somebody said to me, what made you decide to go live in an orphanage in Jamaica? I'd say, I didn't go decide to do that. I decided to go into a volunteer program to teach. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I decided to take the next step and volunteer somewhere. And then I decided to take the next step and move in. And all those, those steps that we take that lead us down a path where we're not quite sure where we're going, but in the moment we're thinking, I, I think this is where I'm supposed to be right now. Mm -hmm. They, they mm -hmm. all lead somewhere. I love, I, oh, I love that. Well, first of all, that, that description of when the door closes, I always talk about jumping off the cliff uh, throughout <laughs> because I look back now and I kind of knew I was doing that. I was on the edge and I, same thing for the, for decisions I was making, but I was like, all right, what's the worst that can happen? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm going feet first. Okay. So hopefully at least I won't be paralyzed. Right. right. <laughs> so most likely, but yeah, I love, I love that. So then you end up um, eventually uh, making your way into law, which is interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so you studied law and then, but but from sort of that journey, all of a sudden you went from, and, and again, I know there were a lot of years in between, but from orphanage to corporate law, that's a big leap. How did, what, what just, what happened in that middle section there? Sure. Uh, well, while I was in law school, I which I and I went to Fordham Law School and loved it. And my my youngest daughter is actually a second year uh, law student there now. Uh, while I was there, I, I created a not for profit corporation that created summer jobs for law students to work at public interest places. And I got the, my classmates to each donate one day's wages from their summer associate job to a pool of funds. Convinced the law school to match that pool. And then they use those funds to fund law students who wanted to work in public interest jobs, but 
there was no money to do it and people needed to make a living. So that created a whole host of jobs and it ended up creating, uh, ultimately created 30 jobs a summer for many years. And that program ran for about 30 years. But when I, because I created that, uh, the year that I graduated, there's a law firm called Skadden Arps and they created the Skadden Fellowship Program, which funds 25 lawyers per year to work in public interest law. And they pay you, they don't pay you a corporate law salary, they pay you a public interest law salary, but, and they pay your loans off, which is huge, mm -hmm. um, or contribute to it. But it allowed me to then take a job at a public interest place. And because I'd worked with young people in the past, I got a job at a place called Covenant House, which is a runaway shelter in New York City. Sure. sure. So I went there as the lawyer and I was there to work with two groups of people. Uh, the, uh, long story short, work with, uh, it was the height of the AIDS crisis. I was working on AIDS discrimination cases against, uh, on behalf of young teenagers who were being discriminated against because they were HIV positive. And I was also working on the aftercare program with um, women who had children of their own. So I spent two years doing that. But most important thing that happened at Covenant House is it's where I met my wife. Uh, she was not a runaway, but uh, I do get to tell people <laughs> that I met my wife at a homeless shelter. Uh, she was a social worker working uh, on behalf of the kids. And uh, we then got married, but I needed to transition away from doing the public interest law and get a corporate law job. And so I ended up in insurance coverage work, representing Lloyd's of London on behalf of uh, malpractice cases. So wow. made that leap from court from public interest law to corporate law, and did that for seven years. I, I that's that is an amazing story, and I especially like how you've leveraged the nonprofit piece of it and really made it possible for a lot more people to be in that space. Uh, it really financially, it's really just, but also yeah, it's great. And yeah. and it's just uh, very similar to what I'm sure a lot of your listeners do, which is pay attention really focus and pay attention to what's around them and then see opportunities in front of them and take advantage of those opportunities. Take advantage in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great thing. I mean, a lot of people now I've noticed, you know, since we've gone through the year, year and a half, whatever it is that we've gone through are taking that step back. Cause I think there are uh, many who just, you're sort of on this roller coaster, right? Of, of <laughs> you just, every day you just do. And all of a sudden it's like, wait, I call it, you know, the year, year and a half that the world stopped. You know, we took a pause. It was a timeout, maybe. That's a way to think of it, right? Well, you know, uh, every once in a while you'll see um, somebody creating something fanciful and amazing on YouTube and and their comment at the end is, um, well, you know, it's COVID and, you know, I had all this time, we all have all this time on our hands. And I'm thinking, we have what? Like the last thing I've had is time on my hands. And while it's uh, it's been a break from the norm, it's really turned things upside down for a lot of people and, and where we're, a lot of us are scrambling. So uh, you, know, you mentioned earlier that I write for Forbes. My, my theme for the columns this year is we're not in the new normal, we're in the new nimble. We're all required mm -hmm. to be much more agile in what we're doing and the way we're doing it because the rules are changing every week and a half. Just the rules on how you connect to Zoom, whether you can use chat, whether you can record, like everybody's changing their, their policies. And, and then with all sorts of cybersecurity issues, people have to pay attention to compliance issues and whatnot that they, they've got to think mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. So we've got to be incredibly nimble in this new environment. 
I agree. I mean, Pete and I can tell you, we could probably give, you know, just one whole session just on the things that we've learned because you have to in terms of technology and the new uh, opportunities to reach out to um, one-to-one or one-to-many, like things like Clubhouse. So I agree. I mean, there's just a lot of new things coming up where it's exciting, but you have to be, that's a great word, nimble. So now you kind of look at all those things and then, and you have many more years uh, to go, but how do you define success? Great question. It's something I think that we all try to figure out along the way. What does success look like? And I think success looks like something very different at different points in your career. So at this point, am I really looking for new opportunities? I'll be 59 later this year. Am I really looking for new and exciting opportunities for a new career? No, but I'm looking for my next path. What will I do after I retire from execcom in a while, which will be a couple of years down the road? Uh, I'm looking at how I can continue to contribute. And since you know, success is a very personal thing for everybody. So what it means to me to be successful is, do I feel like I'm adding value? Do I feel mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm helping make a difference somewhere? We spend a lot of time at Execcom uh, teaching people how to communicate and talk about what they do. And it's amazing. One of the things that, that, we, that we work with people on is very simple exercise for, for just about everybody. And this will help you with that question of, what, is, what does success mean? You, so you meet somebody, it's a social setting, which we will eventually get back to. In a social setting, somebody says to you, so what do you do? What do you say? Now, most people say whatever it says on their business card. Mm-hmm. I am the executive director of X. I am a senior partner at Smith & Jones. They literally say, when asked, what do you do? They say what appears on their business card. And that doesn't tell me what you do. If you introduce yourself based on what's on your card and your title, you're telling me not just not a whole lot of information, but you're telling me you view yourself in terms of a status that you have achieved. I made it to executive director, whatever. Instead, we encourage people to think about themselves in terms of how they add value. So when somebody says, what do you do? You fill in the following sentence. I help who do what? And when you, so for instance, I've never introduced myself to somebody by saying I'm the managing partner at Execcom. Execcom is a small company. Nobody knows what it is. And what does it mean to be managing partner? That could, that really doesn't tell you what I do. But when somebody says, what do you do? I say, I help people communicate better because that's what I do. And it always prompts another question to get more into the specifics. And it's only about the third or fourth interaction in the conversation back and forth where it. I let them know, well, I'm a partner at a consulting firm and that's how we do this. Because they always ask, well, are you teaching somewhere? Are you at a university? But you start with what makes you more interesting to other people, which is to say, I help who do what? Where you're telling people, I don't view myself in terms of a status I've achieved. I view myself in terms of how I've contributed to my community. I love, I love that. And I think that really goes along with the theme that I've been um also trying to emphasize to folks, which is it's all about the why, the purpose, you know, mm-hmm. get into that meat, because if it's just the, you know, I move widget A to widget B to what, who cares? What's the end goal of it? What's the why behind what you're doing? Right. right. Who, who are you helping? And mm-hmm. how are you, how are you helping somebody else move forward? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so now you think back to when that plane was taken off <laughs> and think about, you know, your vision of success. If, if you even had one, cause you said mm -hmm. you were just sort of going, going with the right. flow. How has it changed over the years? The, the vision of success? Yeah. Sure. Uh, the vision of success is for me, particularly because I'm in a training and development space is how am I helping other people grow? And how am I helping other people develop in what they do? And is the work I do meaningful because it adds value to other people? And, you know, I, I've been very blessed that I've had those opportunities in my life. But when I think about what I've been doing and as a service professional, you know this from, from your roles, am I helping other people succeed? That's been a consistent theme along the way for what motivates me and keeps me engaged. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can, I've done that in teaching capacities as a lawyer and now in running a firm. You know, I spend a lot of my time still coaching people. I've got two coaching sessions coming up after this, but most of my job is spent trying to make the firm successful and the different people at the firm successful. And that's, that's how I have value. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. As a teacher myself now, it's not even uh, about the the money anymore. It's really about when when I have a student who suddenly like wakes up and wants to now let's say pursue marketing or says I can't do something. I can't figure out how to do the social media post. I just can't do it. Yes, you can. And they think you're really mean because you can. Yes, you can do it. And when they finally do it. I just, I, tears come to my eyes because I get so emotional and I, look, you did it. And I know they're going to keep that with them now. So, and they will always remember that moment where they struggled and they figured it out. And I think that that's something that as our listeners are thinking about where they're at in their lives and their careers and, and if they have children and, and how they're incenting them to do those kinds of things, it's a big deal. It really is. So and it, and for... it does change. The, there was a yeah. time when I started my career at Exactcom. I've been here 23 years now. Uh, but when I started, uh, I had left the law. I had, my kids were 432 and newborn at the time. I did focus on making money. I did focus on, I have to, like the people I have to help right now are number one, my wife, and then my four kids and make sure that there was food on the table, et cetera. And mm -hmm. so the focus was on the way I can help them is to be the best consultant I can be for my clients so that I make some money. Right. And that's perfectly fine. That's not Machiavellian or selfish. It's human nature. Yep. And, and we want to do that. We just want to recognize that the way I was best able to make money for my family, to support my family, was to be really good at helping other people accomplish their goals. Yeah, well said, actually, because we've had this conversation as well with many talking about, hey, a struggling student coming out with lots of loans, right. you have one thing in mind, get money, pay bills, right? And so as you move through the journey, then you actually hopefully have the gift of being able to do that, but think about some other things. Because I myself, I have to tell you, it was all about make more money move up the rung, you know, just keep going, keep going. There was not this other piece. I think today's, um, I'll just say today's kids or, you know, young professionals, I think that they are more sensitized uh, in general 
to the other piece, perhaps, than um, maybe my generation was, certainly. So, and that's all good. This is all a good thing that, that people are, you know, really waking up a bit. So, we're going to switch here a little bit and ask you the big question. Would you have done anything differently in your life's journey? That's a big one. Uh, sure. It's and a big one. It, yes. it's, that's a, an important question. I, there are things I would have done differently. I think I would have approached uh, my management role a little bit differently. I think I would have spent even, even though I think I'm a pretty good listener, I think I, there's no way I could not improve. So I would have really focused on being a better listener throughout my whole career. Uh, and I think I would have written more. I enjoy writing. And I, I think I've been able to add some value through uh, both Raising Gentlemen and through uh, which I wrote to raise money for the orphanage and through Simply Said and through the Forbes columns. And I, I think I could have added more value there. Well, congratulations just on, on, on writing the books and everything you're doing on that, I have to say, because so many of us think, oh, well, I'll write a book on that. Oh, I'll write a book on that. And, you know, just staring at the screen and starting, you know, the first sentence, I, it's just, I got, I, you know, there's a lot of ideas rolling around, but it is hard to really get it going and have something that's meaningful. So well done on that one. Thanks. Yeah, so now we're going to go into just sort of the really fun facts. So people get to know you just a little bit better. So my first question on fun facts is, who is the person you admire the most and why? I would have to say uh, my dad. And uh, he uh, passed away about six years ago. He uh, was just a all around good guy, just a you know, successful businessman, nothing, you know, no CEO of a major Fortune 500, but he was just a solid businessman. Uh, he set the right example for uh, me and for my five siblings. And one of the things that uh, always impressed me about my dad is I never heard him say a bad word about anybody. He just, he always found the positive thing to say, and not in an obsequious way, but just, he never said a bad word about anybody. And I think it's because, now I, I would look at that and think, wow, that, that takes a lot of discipline because I probably said five nasty things about people just this morning. And <laughs> I think he didn't, it didn't take discipline because he didn't worry about saying nasty things about people or negative things because he didn't think them. He took everybody at face value. He took everybody for what they could contribute and how they could add value and admired who they were and what they, who, who they were just for who they were. And I, I think that's a really admirable trait. Uh, and I, I think it's just good to have that attitude in life. So he would be, he'd be one of the people that I admire most. And that's why. Beautiful, beautiful. Favorite book? Back to Kel Mockingbird. Okay. I thought you were going to say one of the ones you wrote. (laughs) No, no, no. um, Now, To Kill a Mockingbird, it's the first book I read that at the end of it, I thought, I'm going to miss these people. And so that that's what awakens you, I think, to literature when you realize Mm -hmm. those those characters were so real for you. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, the sequel just ruined a lot of that. But that is it it is the nature of, of writing. Yeah. Did you see it on Broadway? I did. Very yeah. well done. Yeah. Wonderful. Favorite movie or, <clears throat> I have to say, streaming? Either. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I don't stream much, but um, favorite movie? Ah, The Lion in Winter. Won the Academy Award back in the either 60s or early 70s. Catherine Hepburn, uh, Peter O'Toole about Eleanor of Aquitaine and Henry II and the discussions they have about who, which of their three sons should be the next King of England when Henry dies. It is the single best dialogue I've ever heard. It, like it is comparable to Shakespeare, uh, but not complicated. It's, it's easy to access. It is also, if you are into negotiation skills or thinking about negotiation skills, it is the ultimate movie at watching people, watching machinations going on between parties and understanding uh, some artful negotiations, some horrific negotiations in terms of ploys people pull on each other. But it's a great movie to watch if you're interested in learning how to negotiate. He even starts the movie by saying, so the French king is coming to visit them at Christmas time. And there's a kid. He goes, so here's what's going to, he says to his whole family, here's what's going to happen. He's going to say this. I'm going to say this. We're going to battle over this. He wants to marry this daughter, but he's not going to be able to. I'm going to do this. And he just lays out in the beginning of the movie, here is what's going to happen in as we all celebrate Christmas together in 1182 or whatever year, or 1082, whatever year it was. And um, it's a brilliant negotiation movie. Beautiful. We'll have to check that out. Favorite city? New York. Okay. New York. And it's coming back. Good. Thank goodness. Boy. Favorite food? Peanut butter and jelly. All right. Peanut butter and jelly is not a meal. Peanut butter and jelly is therapy. And you, you cannot take yourself too seriously if you're sitting at your desk, no matter how busy you are, no matter how crazy your day is, no matter how nasty your last meeting went. You can only take yourself so seriously if you're eating peanut butter and jelly. And is that on what kind of bread? Whole wheat, whole wheat, oh, always, whole please. Wheat. Whole wheat, yeah. whole wheat. Okay. Uh, well, I don't know. Some people like it on the, you know, the white bread. I know. Yeah. 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 You know. All right. And so now, how can our listeners reach you? I welcome an email. I, my email address is the letter J Sullivan. So J S U L L I V A N at execcom, E X E C dash C O M M dot com. Or you can just find me on LinkedIn, or if you go to Forbes.com and type in Jay Sullivan in the search bar, I've got about 70 articles uh, on Forbes at this point, and you can find me there on LinkedIn. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jay. It was really, really fun. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in to It's Great Business. We will see you all soon. Stay well, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Also, check us out on Facebook at Intracoastal Marketing, LinkedIn at Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group, and Instagram and Twitter at It's Great Business. And visit us on the web at intracoastalmarketingstrategy.com.